Greetings, family, and welcome to The Journey Continues, a Cities United podcast. My name is Anthony Smith, and I'll be your host each month as we take this journey together to reimagine public safety. Cities United is a national network that supports mayors, community leaders, and young leaders from all across the country who are committed to creating safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for young Black men and boys and their families. On each episode, you will hear from key stakeholders from throughout our network who will help us examine the issues that impact young Black men and boys' lives, while also helping us identify key solutions and best practices that will help us reimagine public safety and truly create spaces that are safe, healthy, and hopeful for all. So greetings, Jada. Uh, Really excited to have you uh, have this conversation with us. Uh, Before we jump into this, uh, to the conversation, just how are you doing today? How how are things? Things are going pretty well. I can't complain. Nice, nice. Good, good, good. I know there's a lot happening in in, in our country and around the world. So just want to make sure that we check in with each other before we just dive into the conversation. Yes. Cool. So again, excited to have you with us, Jada. You know, this is a, a Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, we see you as one of the experts in the country around the subject uh, and talking about it. So can you really uh, tell our network uh, who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Okay, so I am a mental health advocate and speaker. Um, I have been doing this for about eight, nine years. It, it kind of all started with me going through my own mental health struggles and um, I really developed a passion for it. Um, I think this is the work that I'm called to do um, and I'm called to be a voice for those who don't have one or feel like they don't have the courage to use it yet. So... <laughs> So um, that's 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 just my work around it. Um, I just feel it's so important because it's a topic that not a lot of people talk about for some reason. And that's why I was kind of compelled to do it, because it was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? And we're all seem to go through things. So I don't understand. So I'm just trying to be as active as I can in, in many ways as I can to spread the word about mental health. I uh, appreciate that. And where are you located, Jada? Where tell folks where you at in the country? I am in Baltimore City. Baltimore City. Uh, and, and you talked a little bit about you know your advocate. How does that show up? What kind of roles do you are you in to have that advocacy voice? Um. Well, first, I just simply started on social media. Um, just me, kind of letting people know, hey, we can have this conversation. Um, I have. Uh, Instagram page called Life With No End and my advocacy really started on that page. Um, I would just post um, like positive quotes on that page but alongside that you see what people post and it let me know that mental illness is real and there is a lot of stigma and shame attached to it um, but one of the reasons is because we don't know what it is mm. so um because at first when I even started on that page I would post things like um, it just takes like a positive thought and then my attitude started to change toward it once I realized what mental illness was myself and so it's like the more we expose ourselves to these type of things the more educated we become and so that's what I do Um, it started off as the page and I started branching out into 
my personal pages and and then I just started talking to people um I do poetry and so okay. I make uh mental health poetry and perform that um and that's where I figured out hmm people really are connected to a story and yeah. so that's what I do I uh I just try to share my story on many platforms as possible and I've been um asked to speak and like lead workshops for youth and it's just incredible because this all started from my personal my personal story so it's like nothing necessarily spectacular like I went to, <laughs> I'm I'm um my major was psychology but aside from that I had a personal connection to it and so that's it's just what I do I love what I do yeah, and I think that is spectacular, right? That you even had the courage to share your story, right? And and where did that come from, right? When you decided this is my platform and this is my what I'm called to do, who 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 were you able to talk to to help you even get comfortable talking about this? Well, um, yeah, for a long time I didn't feel like I had an outlet. And again, going back to my uh, other Instagram page, Life with No End, I had post I was just posting regular positive quotes. And then somebody messaged me and said I was feeling really suicidal, mm-hmm. but your parents turned me the other way. And that's when I knew that whatever this was, was something bigger than me. Oh. And just from there, I've just been, just been trying to do what I can to even learn more about, cause even at that time, I, I, I was clueless on what to do or how to help. Um, I've heard, I personally, um, educated myself i took every workshop i could take mental health first aids you young adult uh, adult whatever i could take suicide trainings just to give me education on how to talk to people wow so when you started taking those classes and those trainings how did you even know where to find them at right because i think a lot of young people might be in the same boat right trying to figure out you know i'm dealing with this myself i know my peers are dealing with this where do I go to get help and how do I become better? So how did you find all those trainings? Um, I just looked it up. Like I was just enthralled in this mental mm. health. Group. So I was just searching out mental health events. Um, okay. anything I could with mental health. And even, um, like I said, even as far as like sharing my poetry, um, I wanted to share my story, but also like put some like words of wisdom in there. And I remember it was like, I'm not going to say I lied, but I kind of did. Um, <laughs> I made my poem at a, like a, it was like a poetry camp. And I had told these people, yeah, I'm going to perform this. I got a gig at a conference. I'm going to perform this. And what's incredible is, though it seemed like a lie at the time, it was like I was speaking it into existence. There you go. I did this poem at so many conferences. And so it's just like anywhere, cause I was just sending in my poem, like, can I just perform this here? Can I perform it here? So I was just, I was just enthralled in this community. So I like had to reach out as, as much as I could. So, uh, as, uh, what was the name of your Instagram page again? It's called Life with No End. Life with No End. Is that still up and running? Is it a place where yes. folks can still go? Okay. Yes. Good, good, good. I just want to make sure the network and the audience hears that, right? So that they can actually go to Life Without End. With no end. Life with no end. Yes. Life with no end on Instagram to check out Jada and, and, and her and her work and her and her and her quotes to help really help you get through this. Uh, 
What do you want our community, the black community to really know about mental health? I want the black community to know that one, it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to talk about it. Um, we, we're sort of stuck in this mindset of it is what it is. This is just how it has to be. This is how it always been. But I just want the black community to know it. You can heal. Like it's mm. okay to heal. Like this is not supposed to be anything. And that, um, the people who came before us didn't have the opportunities or the resources to get that healing. But now we do. And it's okay to take that step to do so because a lot of a lot of us are victims of a lot of stuff that we don't even know that we're victims of because we just think that it's supposed to be and that's just not the case yeah so when you talk about that first step right to healing what does that look like uh what did it look like for you and what does it look like for others so that folks can understand what that looks like right so when you talk about the first step what is that and what does that look like and feel like for folks um i know for me um because for a long time I was in denial of even anything being wrong because I felt like it wasn't supposed to happen to me. Like I'm not supposed to be this person who goes through this. Um, it just took me getting to almost like a rock bottom for me. Um, when I felt myself, I, I can't move, I can't get up, I can't do the things that I'm supposed to do every day. I knew it was time to reach out to a counselor. Um, and even then, I must admit, I was hesitant about the process, but even just the step to even try, that was like the first thing. Um, for others, I would say, because that's, that's a, therapy's a big step. So I would say even just being comfortable, maybe even trying to express yourself, right. um, talking to a friend, just anything like that, just starting small, writing your feelings down. Cause it, mm. it's a process. And you may not be able to jump right into like the big stuff yet, but just if it's no more than just writing something down, just trying to clear your mind or express because you have to first realize that there's a problem with you before you can even start to do anything about it. Right. No, uh, I appreciate that. And, and and when you went looking for a therapist, how was that journey and how did you find somebody? Um, I started, I was, I uh, went to, um, my college, um, because I was struggling, I didn't know where else to go, but I know that they had like a therapy center. So mm. I went to that, um, but then school was about to end. Um, and so she had to refer me to someone else, like, um, that was just in my local community. Mm. And so that's what I did. And. I really couldn't afford, or even if I could afford, I was ashamed to even get that help, mm. um, to, to, to say that I needed help paying for it. So she recommended me to a pro bono counseling, which was okay. a great help, free, um, free counseling, which I recommend for a lot of people just to even search, see if they have that where you are. Um, and I started therapy from there. Does it matter if your therapist comes from the same background and looks like you and can relate to you? Or what's your thoughts on that, right? Because I know a lot of people I, are now are looking for it and, and, and trying to find folks. Uh, so, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely think all of that matters. Um, finding the right fit for you. Um, 
I think it's definitely helpful when you get somebody that looks like you or specializes in the things that you've specifically been through because it's like already you go into it with a bit of trust even if you don't know who that is you already have something in common with that person um so i, I think that that's important to look around um and also important to know that if you try therapy for the first time and it doesn't work that's okay try again like mm -hmm. it's not it may not be a fit like it, everybody's human and specializes in different things so it's okay yeah, so it's okay to shop around and get the right fit, right? So every yeah. therapist you go to might not be for you. Uh, right. It doesn't mean therapy doesn't work. It just means you got to find the right therapist. So it's a, it's, a, it's a process. Yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so last month you joined us in D.C. Uh, for the release of our new resource guide around preventing black male suicide. It was a roadmap for action. Uh, the question is, why is it important for us to have tools and resources that focuses on our children, right? Why is it important for the community to have these kind of tools and resources? It's important for the community to have tools and resources because um, it's, the, it's like the basic setup for what we have. It seems to be one, what we're lacking. It's important because the, the youth, especially, we seem to be the demographic that is on a high rise of all of these issues, suicide, uh, mental health issues. And so um, we need to be putting things into play now before it gets to a point where it's out of hand. Like we should never have hit the suicide for there to be something in motion. Um, and so I think that uh, Cities United did a good job of um, outlining a good resource, um, a good resource catalog for um, what to do because a lot of times we know the problem but there's no solutions for it so mm -hmm. I think City United did a good job of kind of mapping it out on what needs to be put in play um, especially for the youth um, wherever youth are there needs to be a plan of action um, because again you know broken children become broken adults so we have to start there wow uh, so before we jumped on, you were talking about a new intern that you're going to be a part of. Can you uh, explain a little bit about that and why you're excited about it? Yes, it's called Speaks to Inspire. Um, my goal in life now is just to become uh, uh, a full-time speaker. Um, it took me a while to get there, um, <laughs> but I decided that's what I want to <laughs> do. And so I just want to have more speaking opportunities. Um, it speaks to inspire, um, is a group of young folks like myself. Um, and it's, it's about good six, seven of us. And we have different roles and speaking opportunities and things to kind of help, uh, build as a speaking team. But not only speaking, but the things that go along with having a good presentation as far as giving a speech. Um, so my role so far is going to be um, kind of the social media networking part. So that's interesting because I've never quite been in that role before, but I'm excited to take on this new task um, and kind of learn a little bit more about the craft so that I'll be polished once I get in this role. Nice. No, love it. Love it. Congrats on that. Uh, uh, Well-deserved. Uh, as we wrap up, uh, what is it that, you know, uh, what do you tell uh, adults uh, that they need to be paying attention to when it comes to our kids? What do we what do we need to be paying attention to? 
I would tell adults, um, just one, make yourself involved. Um, and that just because they're children doesn't mean that they don't feel. A lot of times we go through these things where it's like, oh, it's just a phase. Um, they'll get over it. But no, be, be enthralled in your child's life. That's important mm-hmm. because I say you need to know if something changes. In order to know if something changed, you have to know what it was before. Some parents don't know that kid at all. Getting involved is not going to take too much. The little stuff, you know, how was your day? What did you do today? What did you learn? What do you like? Simple stuff. Get to know your kid for the most part. And then it's building that trust factor. So when the big stuff comes to play, you'll have that relationship with your child to talk about some of the more big stuff. And they trust you with it because you're just not a you know you become more than just a parent you're like okay the listening ear like yeah. the, the confidant in the way i can come to you when something's going on yeah that's dope i appreciate that uh can you give us uh one of your favorite quotes uh before we wrap up um my favorite quote is actually a quote that i made i call it my life quote mm. um and um it's i want my presence to be so powerful that my absence has authority Mm. Um, that's my goal. Wherever I show up, I hope. Yeah, that's deep. Wherever no. I show up, I oh, hope to go. make. Um, go ahead. Because I just don't want to be living to just exist. I want when I'm gone, even if maybe that's not even off this earth. But when I'm not mm-hmm. in the room, I want somebody to remember something I did or said. I love that. That's dope. I love that quote. I'm glad it's your quote, right? Uh, <laughs> instead of somebody else's quote. So I appreciate that, y'all. So just again, Jada, thank you for all you do. Uh, I want to make sure that our network be on the lookout for Jada. She is a poet, motivational speaker, uh, a mental health, a mental health wellness uh, expert, uh, and going to be doing some amazing things. And we know your impact will be felt. Uh, that's why we called you up again to be with us. You did such an amazing job in DC when we were at Busboys and Poets. So just thank you for all that you do. Uh, and thank, thank you for you making time. Thank you so much times. for having me. No, thank you for making time for us. And we look forward to uh, having more conversations with you and seeing what you do uh, in the future. All right. So greetings, Jada. Uh, not to Jada. I just talked to Jada. <laughs> greetings, Janelle. Uh, Thank you for so much for making time for this conversation and for joining us on the Journey Continues podcast. So I just want to say, how are you? A lot going on in the world. So I just want to do a check in and see how you're doing. Appreciate that. Um, I am hanging in there. I think that I'm doing the best I can with everything going on. Obviously, the mass shooting this week is devastating and on the heels of Buffalo, which was also devastating. Mm-hmm. Uh, victims are still being buried from that and it just speaks to the fact we never get respite from this yeah yeah and and to that you know and in this month of mental health awareness and and to your point thinking about respite and trying to figure that out you know those are the kind of things that you know we need to there's a balancing act right for those who are in the work those who do the work uh and the families who are impacted by this is where do we find rest where do we find reprieve and where do we find space just to start the healing process 
Uh, so I think that's right on, and I appreciate you for raising that. Uh, and 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 also, you know, saying doing the best that I can because in these moments, I think sometimes that's all we can do. Uh, and and how we honor that, I think, is important. Uh, so you know, we always want to start off with trying to get to know our, our guests a little bit, right? So, uh, and, and our network is really curious about who we're talking to, why we're talking to them, and what y'all do. So the question really is around: Can you just tell us a little bit about our network, a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, and why you do it? Sure. Um, so. Uh, my name is Janelle Covage. I am trained as a licensed therapist. So I have a small practice here in Maryland uh, where I predominantly work with uh, Black women. Um, and I'm a trauma therapist. So I predominantly work in healing trauma. Uh, I have interests in all types of trauma, but more so relational and racial trauma. So I would say that's where I focus. Uh, a lot of my practice on, as well as uh, working with a lot of survivors of violence, including gun violence. I also uh, just finished a master's of public health degree. So uh, for the last, I guess, eight years now, um, I've been working in suicide prevention. And I did not think I would ever be working in suicide prevention when I was going through school. It wasn't really something um, that was on my radar as an interest. It was all happenstance. Um, but nonetheless, I was there and I ended up loving it and becoming really passionate about it. So um, before my work now, I ran Maryland's uh, State Suicide Prevention Office and chaired their State Commission on Suicide Prevention. And then I moved to the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence. And we just merged with Johns Hopkins and created a new Center for Gun Violence Solutions. Very happy to be here because I actually started my career out working in juvenile justice. Um, so I worked for a residential treatment center. Most of my students were from Baltimore City. Um, so they had been involved with um, the Department of Juvenile Services in some capacity. They would come to us. We had a school. They would live with us. Um, and receive programming to help build skills um, and just provide them with different tools and opportunities so that when they returned home, um, hopefully they would not reoffend. They would be able to return their, to their community and um, have a positive experience and be able to grow and experience life in the way that they should be able to. Um, in the course of that job, I realized that a lot of times we were sending all the time actually right. not even a lot of times we were sending our students back to community the same community that um created the circumstances that led them to us in the first place right. and we weren't addressing those structural factors and to me that was setting them up for failure addressing the individual was only going to go so far and over the years, I've um, unfortunately seen former students of mine uh, perpetrate gun violence or mm. die by gun violence. And so it was really important to me uh, when I decided to move on from that job, I had made a promise to myself that I would return to this work to make better communities um, for my students and other kids like them so that they could thrive, so that they could have 
a positive community um, and achieve their full potential. So that's why I'm here and that is why I do what I do. No, love that. And, uh, and I think that trajectory, right, from seeing it from the individual level to the community level and then even at the state level, right, and saying how do we maneuver in a way where we have the biggest impact on the on, on the individual possible, right? And it's not just sitting across from them, but it's actually creating this shift in the structure and making the moves and all of that. So as you've thought about this over the last few years uh, and you think about, you know, the way forward, what are you seeing and how are you seeing uh, we should be moving as a community, as a, as cities and as, as, as states and as a country? What is it that we should be doing and how should we be moving uh, to really address this issue? We have to look upstream. Um, I think we really do ourselves a disservice when we don't look at the root causes and root factors because, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't focus on other intervention approaches. Mm -hmm. It's going to take several different types of approaches to make an impact. Absolutely. Um, so really focusing on community violence intervention. Um, and while we're doing that, focusing on what the root causes for community violence are, strengthening our school systems, strengthening our communities and returning investment that's been denied to our communities for decades um, to make sure that we have economic opportunity, to make sure that people have access to healthcare um, and mental health care um, and those are the types of things that we need to be doing as a community at the city level, at the state level, at the federal level is looking at the root causes and remedying those um, while also using um, more direct approaches that can help remedy this issue more immediately because the root cause issue is the long game and it will pay off in the long term, but we right. also need to have an expeditious response because people are dying and we need to save lives. Yeah, and when you think about that uh, immediate kind of response that you talked about, can you help us outline what that looks like uh, and, and how folks should be thinking about that? Because I think you're right, it's a both and approach, right? Uh, and you gotta be moving in both, but what should folks be doing today to your point to save lives? Yeah, so I think a big piece of this is building community and building bridges, mm. um, having conversations, providing that social support to one another. I think, unfortunately, especially over the last several years, there's just been this culture of disconnection with one another. And, you know, walking in the office and having someone say, good morning, how are you? Mm. And the immediate, I'm good, how are you? Like, am I really good? Am I being honest about how I am? Does this person even care how I am? And thinking about those interactions in the community and our communication and whether we're being intentional and really trying to connect with one another or just going through these social expectations. Wow. Um, so I think reaching out and, and really wanting to know what's going on in people's lives are they struggling? Are they having a hard time in school? Um, are they experiencing houselessness? Are mm -hmm. they worried about finances? Uh, really understanding what's going on with them and not just so you can help, but also so that they know there are people that care 
and have their back and are willing to support them through this so that they don't have to go through anything alone. I think that connection and having that uh, safety and social support network goes such a long way when someone is in harm's way or at risk for being in harm's way. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I, I, and I appreciate the way you lay that out. And I think I don't, and I think, you know, you know, to your point, we have moved through a pandemic in a way that has not had time to process all of that disconnection uh, and loss of connection that folks have had uh, and thinking through that. But then also just thinking about the trauma that has been on black and brown communities for centuries. And then you add this to the mix. Uh, I think it's important for us to kind of dissect and think about as we continue to think about what healing looks like and how people move forward. Uh, and one of the questions for you, Janelle, is really around what do we, as our, as a, as a, as what do our community need to know about mental health, uh, and how to uh, address it, how to uh, seek help? What is it that we need to be knowing and talking about when we think about mental health? So much. One, <laughs> everybody has mental health. Everyone, every human being walking this earth has mental health. Having, um. A mental health condition does not mean that you didn't pray hard enough. It doesn't mean mm. that you didn't believe in your faith hard enough. You can have God and you can have a therapist. Um, and what? it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean um, that you're a threat to others. It, it means simply that either on a genetic level, you just have a predisposition for this health condition, like you might have a predisposition for high blood pressure or diabetes or um, any other physical health condition that we might think about. Um, or it simply means that you're responding to the reality of your environment and what's going on in our world. And when you talk about the trauma that our communities have faced, it's not just what you and I are facing today as individuals, it's what our ancestors have faced for generations. We inherit that. Um, so I think that's also important from a mental health perspective um, that we are not just carrying our own experiences, we're also carrying the experiences of the generations that came before us. And when we think about the generations that came before us and what they've endured, that is heavy and it is a lot. Um, so I just really want to normalize mental health and having a mental health condition. And especially I've been thinking a lot um, in terms of the strong black women schema and just some of these other cultural beliefs that we've uh, been socialized with and have internalized and how a lot of times we think of them as a positive way of coping and really, um, unfortunately, they can foster that disconnection or isolation mm -hmm. and feeling like, you know, I have to figure this out on my own. I can't burden other people with what I'm experiencing. So um, I'll just put on this mask, let folks know, like, let everyone around me think that I'm all good, I'm okay, I don't need anything, but inside I'm really struggling and I'm in pain and I don't have a social support network to rely on. Um, and if that falls over time, you know, 
that's when we start to see people putting themselves in harm's way or um, unfortunately going on and making suicide attempts or dying by suicide. And so we have to normalize mental health. We have to normalize having mental health conditions and being able to talk about that as a community and not tell someone like, you didn't pray hard enough or um, kind of minimizing it. Like, oh, that's just your uncle. Like he's always just been like that and kind of like talking, minimizing it and dismissing it when really we could be helping one another. And um, when we allow these conversations to happen, we change the narrative around mental health and what it means to have a mental health condition. And we let people know that it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to get help for it. Um, So I think access and and getting help for mental health is a whole other conversation, right? There's this whole history of distrust of the medical community, which the medical community has rightfully earned. Um, And there's also the issue of when you're wanting to seek help being able to find a provider who looks like you who Mm. understands your lived experience who isn't going to deny or question or minimize your lived experience so um, i want to just name that outright that that's a challenge that we face as black and brown folks um, and trying to seek mental health care or medical care or whatever it is but there are some good organizations that are trying to change that Um, there's therapy for black girls um there is also a therapy for black men website as well to help find um therapists of color who specialize in working with our community and people who look like us um there's also a website called inclusive therapists uh, the boris l henson foundation that was established by taraji p henson Mm. um and so these organizations not only help you connect and find a therapist who looks like you. Um, but I know that the Boris L. Henson Foundation, I believe also provides vouchers for therapy wow. if finances are a concern. Um, so there are also these programs that will help provide monetary support uh, for therapy if you don't have insurance or if you're underinsured. A lot of therapists also Um, will offer sliding scale fees or even may offer in some cases some pro bono slots um, to help people who are underinsured or don't have insurance and where costs would be prohibitive to them seeking uh, mental health services. So um, I always encourage people if they find a therapist, they read the profile, they feel like they really vibe with this person, don't discount yourself by looking and saying, oh, they don't accept my insurance or I can't afford their session fees. Reach out and ask because a lot of therapists do offer uh, those things to give back to their community and make sure that therapy is accessible. Yeah, that was a lot of good information and right on time. And I really appreciate the resources laying that out. Uh, And I want to go back to a point you made around normalizing this conversation, right? And really talking about how do we make it uh a part of our uh our day-to-day conversation especially when we're talking about our young people and how we make sure that young people understand that you know 
there's support and there's help around that, right? So when you think about normalizing it and what does that look like and how do we do that as a community? And how do we put this front and center? To your point, we all have mental health needs and issues that we're dealing with uh, at different levels, right? Uh, but how do we address that as a community and how do we make it a norm, right? What does that look like when you think about it? So I think there's a few different ways that we can do that. So I think, you know, organizations um, that are specific to our community can start talking about mental health on their social media and during their outreach. And, and that collectively will help normalize the conversation. But I also think on an individual level, as adults, young people communicate to us what's going on. And sometimes as adults, we may say like, oh, well, you need to communicate to us in this way and not mm. the way that you're communicating. And I'm not going to listen to you until you communicate in the way that I feel is acceptable. And I think that just, again, fosters disconnection and really shuts down conversations when in those moments we can take a step back and think like, what is this young person trying to tell me? They're struggling and they're telling me in their own way that they're struggling. So I'm going to instead invest my energy in trying to understand what they're experiencing and how I can help as opposed to telling them how they need to communicate to me. So I think that's one way to normalize it. Um, I also want to add that in our community, a lot of times what we've been taught about what mental health looks like is not always the way that it presents in our community. And we see that in schools when Black and Brown children are um, penalized for having uh, externalizing behaviors or acting out as mm -hmm. We'll sometimes refer to it when really um, that could be depression or things going on at home right. and thinking about those things instead of just writing it off as like oh my child is bad or my niece or nephew is bad and they need more discipline or whatever it may be thinking for a moment and taking a step back you know maybe this isn't a behavior issue maybe this is a mental health thing maybe they're struggling um, and really trying to get to the bottom of it and understand their experience instead of just writing it off. Um, so those are a few things that I think we can do, but I also think we can normalize just talking about it. So when you ask me today, how are you doing? Instead of just giving the canned answer of, oh, I'm good, how are you? <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm doing the best that I can. <laughs> and I've been really intentional about being honest about where I am. Um, and I, I had a, a meeting earlier today uh, with a colleague. We had actually rescheduled from yesterday because my colleague reached out to me and was just like, I thought I could be present, um, but I can't. I'm still, you know, sitting with and trying to deal with my feelings around Buffalo and, um, this most recent mass shooting in Texas, and I really need to reschedule, I'm sorry. And I was just like, you never have to apologize to me Absolutely. for prioritizing your well-being. I'm glad that you're doing that. I'm glad that you're putting that out there and naming that. And I think that we should normalize that. Um, being honest about where we are and how we're feeling, um, normalizing prioritizing your well-being so if that means shifting around priorities or whatever it is 
like being open and honest about that and also being supportive when it happens. So I think that's the flip side of it, right? Um, yeah. If we want to normalize this, we can't just be like, okay, that's great. We're all going to be honest. We also have to think about how we're going to show up in those moments when people are honest with us and not be uncomfortable when they share with us that they're struggling. Um, I'm really thinking about our responses of like, if we tell someone that it's going to get better, are we telling them that because we truly believe that? Or are we saying that because we're trying to make ourselves feel better because we're right. comfortable that this person is hurting? Right. So um, just like thinking through how you're going to respond and what to say to be empathic. You don't have to have the answers. And in fact, um, I encourage people to not try to problem solve for people. That's usually not what they're looking for in those moments. They're really just looking for like presence can just mm. be a very powerful thing, but also like that sounds really tough or like I cannot imagine what that must be like for you. Like, how can I support you in this moment? Mm. Something like that. Um, but just being prepared for those conversations. If we want people to be honest, then we have to also be prepared to have a thoughtful and empathetic response in those moments. Yeah, and I think one of the important things you said that I want people to hear is that we don't have to have all the answers. We mm -hmm. just have to be there, right? And, and be present. And I think another piece that you said too is how can I be helpful? Uh, instead of moving right into helpful, right? Because I think that's the, that's another natural reaction, especially when you're talking about kids, right? When you have kids in front of you and they're telling you what they're going through, you just want to go in and jump in and fix. And I think sometimes we got to pause and figure out what that fix might look like. Uh, so I appreciate you uh, really elevating that and highlighting that for folks. I just want folks to hear that presence matter and asking how to be helpful matters uh, in these conversations. Uh, and I think part of it too, Janelle, is this, you also mentioned, you know, this uneasiness and uncomfortableness that we have. How do we sit in that uh, uh, in the middle of these conversations too is an important piece of how we all move forward. Uh, one of the things we talked about with Jada, who you know, because you connected us to us, is that, and, and I think you also raised this, is our personal stories. How do we share that more and, and how do we make sure that people understand that it's it's okay that you have these issues, but just also let's figure out how we can find the right support for you as you move through it and navigate through it. Uh, as you look at where we are as a country, we've been having, a, you know, more and more people are talking about mental health, talking about finding a therapist uh, and talking about how, you know, we all can uh, move to healing. Uh, what do you see the future of, of this conversation looking like? And and and, 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 and are we, where are some bright spots that you see too, uh, if I can ask that question? For me personally, I think the bright spots are just seeing the clients who are coming to me that I get to work with. Mm. And, you know, they might say like, oh, uh, I'm turning 30 and I thought that maybe I should have a mental health checkup. And I'm like, great, let's get you in. And then, you know, when they're talking and sharing with me and I'm like, yeah, like that thing that you're experiencing, it has a name and it's anxiety or it's depression. Mm. And, and normalizing and naming that for them, that is a bright spot for me. So just seeing the willingness of people seeking out help when they need it because they deserve to have that help and support is a bright spot. 
I think the national conversation about, you know, mental health and people being willing to share their own lived experience is a really bright spot because a lot of times when we weren't sharing, I mean, those people still existed and they heard stigmatizing things said about people with mental health. And I think unfortunately, like existing, but not being seen as a person living with a mental health condition makes the people around us think that it doesn't exist or it's less common than it is. But the reality is one in five people have a mental health condition. So putting faces to those statistics, I think is really helpful and valuable and a bright spot because you do know someone who lives with a mental health condition. Um, It's just a matter of whether or not they've disclosed that to you. And I see disclosure happening more. I see conversations happening more and even within my own family just talking about mental health and I think about how those conversations happened in the past and how (laughs) it was like a very rigid like nope this is what I think and of course you the woo-woo therapist thinks this and (laughs) just kind of like getting completely shut out and shut down and now like when I'm having these conversations even if they might not agree with me in the moment, I can see the wheels turning. I can mm. see them about it and like maybe circling back with me at a later date and saying, oh, like I had a moment to think about what you said. Or, I mean, my dad will not admit when I'm right, but he'll come back and circle back and like ask me a question to let me know that you thought about what I said. Um, so those are the bright spots. Just being able to see this change happen on an individual, on a community, on a national level. And I really see the future of us embracing mental health and what that means for us. And when I say what that means for us, outside of the context of a Eurocentric perspective, um, what that means for us as having black mental health and how our culture and our identity supports our mental health. We already have cultural healing practices that that are happening within our communities that support our mental health and our well-being. And seeing those things come together, that's what I see the future as. No, I love that. I'm going to leave it at that because I love your vision for the future. And if I add anything to it, I'll mess it up. I just want to thank you uh, for making time and uh, just for your leadership in this field uh, and your commitment to our community uh, and our commitment to our community and to our community's healing. So I just want to say thank you. uh, And and I really do appreciate your time and your energy. Yes, Thank you. Thanks for having me and amplifying my voice and letting me be a part of this. No, good, good, good. Are, Are there places where folks can find your work, find your your uh your research and stuff like that or where can folks find stuff yeah um so you can find me by you can google my name uh (laughs) so j-a-n-e-l and then c-u-b-b-a-g-e um so i i have a twitter y'all can follow me on there with random musings about therapy, about mental health, about gun violence, about injustice, and random things about like chucks and puzzles. So I do want to let y'all know it's going to be a (laughs) smorgasbord of random things. But I'm there and then also on our uh, 
Johns Hopkins website um, on the Center for Gun Violence Solutions. You can find my profile there um, and you'll be able to see like different reports that we've worked on and things of that nature. Um, so, yeah. yeah. No, thank you. Appreciate that. Look for Janelle, you all. Uh, amazing uh, uh, sister in the work, uh, keeping us all grounded and helping us all heal. So really do appreciate you and enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Journey Continues. I want to give a special thank you to our guests for joining us and sharing their wisdom and their knowledge. Join us every month as we elevate new voices, strategies, and resources to help us reimagine public safety and move us closer to our vision to create safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for all young Black men and boys and their families. I want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Levi Strauss and Company. As a global iconic leader, Levi Strauss and Company knows that what they do and say matter. That's why they have pledged to support gun violence prevention efforts by providing grants to nonprofits who are working to end gun violence across the country. By elevating the stories of grassroots organizations who are successfully implementing violence prevention strategies in their communities and funding nonprofits who use digital tools and platforms to empower and lift up the voices of youth activists, Levi's believe that we can counter the gun violence epidemic in this country and make communities around this nation safer. To learn more about their goals, please visit their website at levistrauss.com. That's L-E-V-I-S-T-R-A-U-S-S.com. We look forward to continuing this journey with you. Peace. See you next month.